Welcome to Just Us and the Climate, a podcast by the Climate Justice Coalition, where we bring climate change back down to earth and show how it's not only a crisis, but an opportunity to build a better, more just world. My name is Rico Europido from Groundwork, and we are Friends of the Earth in South Africa, and also from the Climate, Energy and Health Special Interest Group, which is a special interest group located within the Public Health Association of South Africa, specifically interested in the intersections between climate, energy, public health and environmental issues. I'm here together with Thomas Mguni, who is a coal campaigner located in the High Felt area of South Africa, Aziza Rangunwala, who is a green health campaigner, and also Mafoko Pomani, who is an environmental health campaigner at Groundwork. And we all work at the intersection of coal, climate, energy, and health. Today, we are reflecting a little on the outcomes of the climate change conference that was recently held in Egypt, and specifically about the health sector's participation and impact in that conference, and whether or not we are making meaningful progress towards defining climate change as a health issue. Health, as we understand it, should be thought of as central to climate change, Climate change will have profound impacts on people's and public health, and we've long advocated that the health sector should be fully vested in climate change and all the associated ways of tackling climate change. Aziza, you were in Egypt. Can you please reflect a little bit on the health sector's participation and how that translates into meaningful action? Thank you, Rico. So one of the main takeaways as someone from the health sector and attending COP is that health finally got its, I wouldn't say a seat at the table, but being recognized as one of the main themes at COP. And health has always been missing in climate change work and in the climate justice movement and how we center health. So the good news is that there is um, what I would say a proverbial seat at the table, but whether it was meaningful is a discussion probably possible for another podcast. But what is important in that um, takeaway is that the World Health Organization's pavilion had a lot of participation. There was a lot of interest. Um, there were so many different topics covered. So I think the health sector is definitely being cemented into um, this process, although there are issues with whether we're going to focus on mitigation, adaptation, or resilience. And there's certain issues where we come to negotiations where health is not present. However, um, as the health community, everybody is working all hands on deck to want to do something about climate, and centering health in that is one of the main priorities. Thomas? Thinking a little bit about what Aziza's reflections have been, you work directly with communities who are affected by one of the main drivers of climate change in the high felt, and, and that is air pollution from the millions of tons of coal that are burnt in our coal-fired power stations. Do you feel that the health sector, these are the clinics and the primary healthcare units and, and the hospitals that exist in the Highveld, do you think that they understand climate change? And do you think that they understand the relationship between air pollution and climate change and people's health and that this is uh, a, a massive priority area for them as the healthcare sector? Thanks, Rako. Um, I think, Rako, we, we, we all need to realize... Um, the history and the legacy we inherited and 
part of that is um, how we heavily dependent and relied on, on coal for our energy, energy generation, but other things as well. But um, coal was not only for energy. We also depended on the coal economy for jobs and um, our livelihoods. So I think in the past, people were made to decide between having a job or being un unemployed. And I think what we've seen recently is that we've seen more and more community people beginning to be more vocal about how coal impacts on their lives. So it's no longer just a question of people being exposed to dirty air, but people are beginning to see dirty air as um, a, a big burden in terms of um, their health. And interestingly enough, I think we, we've seen a couple of health professionals um, trying to explain and make a direct link between air pollution and health, even though I might say at this point in time, uh, especially in the high field, we, we haven't seen a, a lot of private doctors or the public sectors becoming more and more vocal about that. And also you see in terms of the treatment they prescribe on people. Somebody will go to a clinic with bronchitis, he or she will just be given uh, painkillers. So it speaks about um, the, the, the huge gap in terms of information, but it speaks about how we understand pollution and health, and therefore I think there's more that still needs to be done, and we still need to see the health sector playing a, a very proactive role, not only in terms of providing a cure, but uh, a more preventative role so that they can promote um, awareness within the communities. Thanks, Thomas, for those reflections. So you spoke about awareness and, and you spoke about health sector involvement and, 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 and the health sector becoming more interested in the topic. Mafoko, you've worked with some health sector practitioners in the Haarfeld and you've also been uh, part of community workshops with community groups who, who advocate for clean air. What do you think it is that doesn't... Uh, that prevents a, a groundswell of people, of community people, to, to stand up and, and, and to stand with one voice so that we begin to transition to, you know, a, a, an energy future that, that doesn't necessarily impact on their health. Um, do people understand how air pollution affects their health? Do you think we need to do more in that respect so that we get more of a groundswell of, of community people taking action on, on the issue of climate and, and air pollution and other environmental issues that affect their health? Thank you, Rico. Um, the communities that we engage with and work with um, specifically in, in the high felt are aware about the linkages between um, air pollution and health. Uh, but the health sector hasn't come to the party, as um, Tom has mentioned. And I think with the health sector, it starts with uh, policy. So um, the Mpumalanga Highfelt has been declared a, a priority area. And one would, because of the dirty air in, in the area, and so one would think that there would be policy, health policy, that um, suggests or gives an outline of the type of health services that need to be provided for the people affected by the A in, in, in Pumalanga. And so it starts with um, the need for health policies and how those policies are then um, implemented um, at a primary health care level. And then linking with your question around are communities doing enough, then 
this would lead to, do they know about the policy? Do they know about the health services that they deserve? Do they know what is afforded to them by the constitution as far as their right to health? And so there is then need to um, engage with communities further for them to understand policy, be knowledgeable around what um, their constitutional rights are in order for them to then be active uh, and act collectively to demand these rights that aren't being afforded to them. Thanks, Mafoko. So you've spoken about policies and about constitutional rights and and about um, policy reform. Aziza, we've we've recently had a judgment in South Africa, a, a judgment that we've come to know as the deadly air judgment that speaks to the rights of community people. And similarly, globally, there have been other global policies um, the United Nations uh, governing uh, council at 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 their at their recent assembly last year um, took a resolution that people have the right to a clean environment that is not harmful to their health, similar to our constitutional rights. The deadly air judgment. Um, uh, the, the the detail in the judgment is that the right to clean and healthy air is not a progressive right; it's an immediately recognisable right. How do we how do we work with the healthcare sector so that they understand these these policies and and that those policies are meaningfully translated into actions within their work plans within their key performance assessments so that they they don't just sit on the shelf somewhere um, and and gather dust but they are meaningfully implemented in a way that benefits communities and community health. And that's the key with most policies. You know, we always talk about implementation um, and implementation is where we are lacking. And I think the first point of um, action would also be our idea of what health is, because health is not in a hospital. Health is it comes from people's homes. Health is about, like we said, the air that you breathe, the type of work that you do affects your health. Um, there's so many social and structural determinants to health that we need to address. And instead of doing being um, reactive, we need to start being proactive, like Tom said, that we need to think of a preventative health care, strengthening primary health care. And, you know, we're talking about moving towards an NHI with national health insurance in South Africa. But we're also saying health care needs to be sustainable. Let's have a green NHI. That's what people are calling for. So health has the um, responsibility to decarbonize. It has a responsibility to also look at climate resilience as a responder to the climate disasters that will face us and are already facing us. Um, and part of it would obviously be looking at practical steps on how health can drive things like sustainable procurement because the health spending, you know, forms part of a big chunk of GDP um, globally. And we need to look at how we are intentional about where that money goes and also where health itself is not creating, it's not creating more illnesses and not perpetuating disease. So that's where we're looking at things like uh, moving away from incinerators um, and many other practical steps that we could probably discuss in a bit. Thanks, Aziza. You spoke a little bit about economy and you spoke a little bit about transformation and about um, making sure that that economy doesn't have negative impacts on on people's health in south africa 
we we now calling that a specific word, especially in the high field. We're calling it the just transition. Tom, what is it that you think that the just transition needs to be in order to take into account people's needs, not just their primary needs, but but also their their needs um, in terms of their social well-being, um, in terms of thinking a little bit about the history of the the impact of of air pollution on on their health, um, taking into account um, you know what uh, reimagining their 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 communities looks like, what reimagining um, their their economies and their livelihoods look like. Can you please share some of those reflections? I think what is, what is important is for us to one understand how people take their health seriously but also how they take their, their life seriously. And um, I think um, over the past two years, we, we, we saw the, the, the pandemic and how people responded to, to, to the pandemic. But uh, I think one of the key things was that with, with the pandemic, there was a lot of information in the public domain about its impact and about how people can prevent that. And people had to make an, an informed decision to say, how do we go through this pandemic? So the, the same thing will, will, I think should happen if we honestly need to decarbonize, if we want to deal with issues around air pollution. We, we, we have to bring people on board. We have to put enough information in the public domain. We have to create spaces where people can take informed decisions. And that, that has shown that it, it has um, a greater impact. So. I think it calls to the whole readjustment of, of our political and um, economic system where a few individuals will be making decisions for millions. But um, if, if we change that, where the million people will take decisions about their own livelihood, they will take decisions about how their energy is being produced, how they move from point A to point B, I think that will um, address uh, all, both, I would say both, social and economic needs um, at a local level. But um, I think in, in, in the current context, we, we still see government making a lot of policies and then at a later stage they fail to implement. And that becomes a, a little bit frustrating because it seems our government is creating expectations which um, they cannot deliver on. And when they are supposed to be held accountable, then um, uh, they fail. So for me, it's, 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 it's very critical because if we look into the current economy, we, we destroy land, we destroy water, we destroy the air we breathe, and, and that has um, a direct impact on, on, on people's health and well-being. So if um, we give people an opportunity to decide without penalizing them uh, how they produce their food, um, how they source their water, and ensure that um, we support them, uh, we give them enough support so that they are effective in, in terms of that, I think that will speak to a just transition. Currently, we don't see that happening, and we see governments trying to reshape the economy, reshape how we do things, without adequately engaging and involving ordinary people. Thanks, Tom. So, the key principle in all of that is, is having community participation, having them being part of the conversation, having them um, being, being part of reimagining what what their futures look like um you also spoke about the the massive um uh 
uh, human health impact on um, on communities from from climate. We we re have a recent experience of that in KZN. We had the floods in um, in April last year, um, and it's often not well thought about that climate has a huge um, societal mental health impact. Uh, Mafoko, this is something that I know is, is close to your heart and, and it's often something that we don't quite think about. How serious should we be about the mental health um, impacts from climate change, not just on, um, on, on grown-up people but, but also on the youth, on, on young people who, who, um, who are developing and have their whole lives ahead of themselves? What, what is it that you think we should be mindful of? Rico, you've referred to the recent, not so recent, I guess, um, floods in KZN. And um, we, we are realizing that um, this is um, directly linked to climate change. And so when you look at the scenario of the floods and you look at housing, how people were displaced, you look at access to health care, was there adequate um, health care provided? Was there a disaster management plan? Um, incorporated in, in, in the response. And then you think about mental health, like you mentioned. Often mental health and psychosocial support are not priorities. We call them the Cinderella, actually, of, 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 of needs in the health system. And our health system isn't geared towards um, supporting those in need, directly affected by climate change, um, psychosocially. Um, there's not um, enough investment in mental health services, especially at um, within rural communities, vulnerable communities. And so often what we see is the elderly are affected. Um, you've mentioned young people. Um, you know, um, the ability to be productive is, is, is affected. Um, children's ability to go to school. So we really do need to, um, referring back to health, health, health system reform, look at how we invest um, intentionally in, in psychosocial services, uh, mental health services directly in relation to climate change, um, disasters or extreme um, weather events as we are seeing um, they're recurring often. Thanks, Mafoko. And as things stand... Uh we are forecast and, and projected to experience these massive traumatic climate impacts more and more often. Um, we, we we see it almost every year now, whether it's in California with massive fires in, in, in one season and followed by massive floods in another, or whether it's in Australia with prolonged drought followed by flooding. We've seen massive flooding in, in, in Pakistan and in East Africa where there were huge um, health impacts and, and, and many people were displaced. That's looking a little bit backwards, but looking forward, what, what are our hopes and, and our intentions for our work with, with the health sector? What is it that, that we think the health sector can, can do specifically so that you know we accelerate our response to climate change and that we're not only just thinking about mitigation which is what we've almost kind of been thinking about in the last 10-15 years but that adaptation and resilience 
are major components of, of how we need to think about climate change now. Um, Aziza, do, do you want to share some reflections in that respect? So the scientific evidence is there and we know what we need to do in order to, you know, we know what to, to mitigate, to adapt. What the healthcare sector needs to do is to mobilize and to have show some sort of solidarity because in a situation where we have a peer review process, we can make sure that we be aware of things like false solutions because we do have to be also aware that there's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of new technology claiming to be sustainable claiming to be environmentally friendly and we need to actually assess whether those type of solutions are actually you know that are actually feasible so we have um, a program that um, is called global green healthy hospitals that is housed within the international NGO called healthcare without harm and groundwork is the strategic Africa partner and we have in so far um, we have a hundred and seven um, different members representing the interests of thousands of health institutions health facilities and they have committed to um, two or more of the 10 goals that we have set outlined in the agenda for moving towards sustainable or what we call now climate smart healthcare. So in order for us as a health system to also do this is not just about being in the health system, but also engaging with communities and looking at what the needs are of communities and with those ever changing needs and the change, change of disease patterns, we've seen during the pandemic how much strain has been put on the health system. And with climate disasters that are looming, it's going to not just put strain on the health system, it might even collapse some of the health systems that are not ready for this. So I think if we're looking at practical, implementable steps, we need to look at starting with, you know, small, attaining small goals, um, looking at your sustainable development goals and also linking them to how health and community and also centering health in the just transition currently because the just transition is a hot topic currently and it's also something that we are already part of a process of. So centering health because health, you need health, a healthy workforce, you need a healthy nation to have a healthy country. So we, we believe in healthy hospitals, healthy people and healthy planet. And those three have to kind of go along together so that there's some type of synchronicity in how we operate and how we respond to climate and climate change. Thanks, Aziza. Tom, is the healthcare sector vested in the just transition process in the Highfield? Do they know about the just transition? Are they part of the conversation? Will the just transition mean that hospitals in the health in the Highfield will become more adaptable? and more resilient to climate change? Is, is this happening on the ground uh, in your experience? I would say um, a big no, um, except for um, I think what was um, important, which is more like uh, pressing the hand of the health department is that part of the deadly egg case, uh, part of the judgment was that um, we, we, we need to ensure that whatever regulations are implemented are in the benefit of people's health. And we, we know by now that through that process, <clears throat> the health sector is beginning to try and, and respond, but I would say that is not um, adequate. We, we have yet to see the actual involvement or actual results to say this is what is currently happening. 
in terms of the process around the just transition, we've got a presidential climate change commission, but interestingly enough, we, we don't see the health sector playing a significant role in, in that commission as well. And um, if we are going to talk about how we phase out fossil fuels, we also need the health sector to be involved so that they not only inform policy, but also they inform uh, the best alternative solutions that we, we, we need to think about, such that um, tomorrow we might not find ourselves trapped in the same situation where we said these are clean alternatives, but then there are still um, other health implications. So um, I would say I, I would welcome a situation wherein we get the health sector not only to inform policy, but uh, we also want the health sector to work with community people so that they, they can raise awareness, they can work with people so that at the end of the day, whatever decisions are taken at a local level, they have um, a strong and positive impact on the, their health and their livelihoods. So I would say we still need to do more, both um, as an organization and individuals, to ensure that we bring the health sector uh, on board. Thanks, Thomas. And I think one of the key motivations to bring the health sector on board is that the health sector, and in particular doctors and nurses, are among the most trusted voices in society. Uh, community people are likely, more likely to believe messages that come from doctors and nurses than you know, from politicians and, and, and other people in society. Mafoko, in, in conclusion, what, what do you think we need to do to kind of jumpstart that process to really get the healthcare sector interested and, and vested in this process? I know the National Department of Health now are beginning to hear some of our demands and they've decided to establish national task teams on climate and on air pollution so that they can begin to think more systematically about these global policies about the global science that that air pollution has a, a massive um, impact on on the burden of disease do you think that that this is enough do you think that we have the beginnings of meaningful health sector participation in this discussion um, what else can we be doing so the health sector is slowly coming on board um, slower than we we would have wanted them to but really in, in redressing um, the air pollution legacy and in keeping with um, the principle of restorative justice, we want them to do more. Um, however, you know, they are budging and we finally have a seat at the table. Um, we are currently involved in participating in, in um, focus groups that um, the Department of Health have um, initiated um, specifically the air quality and health um, focus group where um, various stakeholders are, are participating and the idea is to address um, the issues around air quality in the high felt um, and we know that this has been catalyzed by the deadly air case and um, the, the litigation that we, 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 we then had to partner with communities to to kind of lead but we're hopeful um, that um, they are listening and jointly because we all we need all hands on deck jointly we can all 
um, address issues of health access as well as prevention um, in the high felt and um, the collective action that is needed. Um, the nurses that you talk of, the doctors have to come to the ground in order to understand the people's issues. So, um, so we are on the right track. It's not all doom and gloom. Thank you so much, Mafoko. And thank you so much, Aziza. And thank you so much, Thomas. Together, we are groundwork. We are working in particular with the healthcare sector to bring them into the climate, energy and policy uh, space so that they understand their imperative that climate change is a health issue and that together, unless the healthcare sector is at the heart of the climate debate, we, we won't make meaningful inroads into addressing the issue and, and building the resilience and the adaptation that we need for healthy communities, healthy planets, healthy hospitals. Thank you very much for your time and listening. That's it from us. Thank you for listening to Just Us and the Climate, a production by the Climate Justice Coalition. To find out more about the Coalition and their work to promote climate justice, visit climatejusticecoalition.org. This podcast is made possible thanks to the financial support of the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.